Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, musicians. Wasn't that, wasn't that fabulous, our whole worship time together? We believe in God, and we all need Jesus. Would you, would you agree with that? We said it enough times in the song. I, I got the message, <laughs> didn't you? Well, that reminds me of the first verse that I memorized when I was a little boy growing up in Sunday school. And it's a verse that you probably know too. It's John 3.16. Talks about believe, doesn't it? Do you remember that? I, I memorized it from the King James Version because, well, when I was growing up, King James was king of the versions. So if you remember it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Believe is one of the key words of our sermon today. To believe in Jesus sounds so easy, but there's so much more to it than meets the eye. To believe in Jesus means accepting all that he claims to be as true. And he claimed a lot. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am, he had a lot to say. Father and I are one. So we say we believe in Jesus. We have to believe that as well. If we understand the New Testament concept of believe. It means believing in Jesus means that we accept everything he taught. Everything he said. And everything he commanded. It means receiving Jesus personally into one's heart and one's life. Not just, I believe the moon is bright tonight, or I believe that something's going to happen tomorrow, or I, th- I think I can be there by five. No, believing in Jesus means committing ourselves 100% to him. It seems that whether we believe or not, is extremely important. Wouldn't you agree with me? In fact, if I believe the Bible, it's a matter of life and death. It's critical then, I want to be sure that I believe in the right way. How about you? It's essential that each of us knows for sure that we can say, yes, I believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Yes, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Not just that he died on the cross. That's a newsflash to some. No, that he died on the cross for my sins. Yes, I believe he was raised from the grave. And that he lives in heaven right now where he's praying for me. And yes, I believe he's going to come someday to return and to take me to be with him. Yes, I believe that he is the way and the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through him. Part of our mission statement here at Faith Church states that our mission is to know the truth and the love of God. We've heard this referred to the last couple of weeks here in in our sermon series. And so the truth is, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
Okay, that's nice to talk about, and that's good to get, get, to get settled. But now, what I want to spend our time this morning on is talking about what it means to believe truly, to believe deeply, to believe scripturally. How, to what degree do you believe this morning? Is it um, opinion? Yeah. It's my opinion that Jesus is a good, good way to go. Yeah. Or is it a good idea? You know, I've weighed all the choices, and it seems a logical idea. It seems a good idea. Yeah, I think I'll go with that. Or is it a preference? Or is it a conviction? If we still had those bulletins that we talked about earlier, you would have seen the title of the sermon is Preferences v. or Versus Convictions. My belief is more than an opinion. It's more than a preference. It's a conviction. And the conviction is something that I'm sure of. Something I'd stake my life on. Something that will not change. But how do we distinguish between convictions and preferences? I'm glad you asked. Because there is a precedent set in our United States Supreme Court on just such a question as that, in 1972, there was a landmark case that ruled that religious beliefs, the only religious beliefs protected by the First Amendment are those which qualify as convictions. The case, if you care to look it up, is Wisconsin versus Jonas Yoder. And it's the case in which the, the, uh, uh, the Supreme Court found in favor of the Amish who did not want to send their children to school past the eighth grade. And they had the firm conviction, they had the belief that the values their children would learn at home would surpass the worldly knowledge taught in school. So the court ruled in their favor, but provided very clear criteria for distinguishing between convictions and preferences. So I have to be honest with you, as I considered this, I, I was challenged to, to the depths of my being. I, 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 wanted, I had to ask myself, what do I believe that really is a conviction? What do I believe that's really a preference? I mean, let's be honest, merely a preference. Or a go-with-the-flow type of belief, you know, just kind of fit in and whatever seems popular, whatever seems good for me in my best interest, that kind of a thing. And the Spirit spoke to my heart, and I, I thought that, well, maybe I, some of my stated beliefs are just preferences. They're not convictions. And so I'm going to share that with you today, too. So I hope that you'll be open to the Lord to speak to you and to show you what's the difference between a preference and a conviction, and why does it make a difference? Just pray with me in the quietness of a moment or two. Just ask the Lord to open your eyes and open your heart, and then I'll lead us together. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Open my eyes that I may see 
glimpses of truth you have for me. Open my ears that I may hear voices of truth you send so clear. Amen. Excuse me just a minute. I'm going to turn off this humidifier. I, uh, if I can remember how to do it. Thank you. I have keen hearing with my hearing aids, and it's distracting for me. To believe in Jesus in a saving way means to have a conviction I would die for. Now, last night we had dinner out after the service, kind of rewarded ourselves. Of course, it was a good place, socially distanced and all of that. I don't want you to think the wrong thing here. We're very reticent to go out, but some friends came to visit in the service last night, and we all went out for dinner, and the food was really good. It's almost like something I would die for. And we realized that it was, it's the restaurant that's rated number two in all of Loveland. We realized that after, you know, as we were getting ready to go. But it's easy to say that, isn't it? I would die for a piece of pie at that place, or I would die for a steak or a ribs there. But would you really die for food? Would you really die for preferences or for opinions or just for something you enjoy, a pleasure? Of course not. Of course not. But would you die for a conviction? Now that is the question. That is the question. Think of what you say you believe. We just said, I believe in God. And we all need Jesus. Do you believe that? How, how much do you believe that? Is it just a nice thing to say because we're in church? Or is it some conviction that you really have? We all need Jesus. Do, do, do we understand that? Well, the court said, okay, or, or some other idea that you believe, if, if, if I didn't hit the one that you think of, something you hold very dear, something you say you believe in. Is it a conviction? Would you die for it? A conviction, the court said, cannot be changed. And they have five ways that it cannot be changed. By peer pressure, by influence of a family member, by threat of a lawsuit, by the possibility of being put into prison, or by the thought of death. Do you think that pretty well covers the waterfront? I think so. How could there be an exception? A conviction cannot be changed. A preference can be changed. If I have a conviction... I'm not going to give in to peer pressure. I'm not going to be influenced by my mom or dad or brother or sister or the majority of my family. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be dissuaded by the threat of a lawsuit, uh, even the possibility of being put into prison, by the thought of death. These are the factors that might challenge me or persuade me. But if I have a conviction, I'm not going to be changed. What do you feel God is leading you to believe today? Or is God calling you to do something today? And you believe it to the depth of your being. If you can be dissuaded by any of these factors, it's a preference, not a conviction. People have wanted to go to the mission field and believe with all of their heart. But parents talk them out of it. You've seen that. Or want to go to a Christian college. Or you fill in the blank. Is it a preference or is it a, con or is it a conviction? A conviction, I'm going to say this more than once so that I hope you'll remember it. 
A conviction does not change. A preference does change. A conviction doesn't change regardless of the circumstances. Now, I'm thinking about the early Christians in the, in the early church. It would be good to pull in a scriptural illustration, don't you think, in a, in a sermon on Sunday morning? I think so, too. Now, we've already talked about John 3.16, but I wanted to just say the early Christians were called upon to decide who was Lord of their life. And it was literally a matter of life and death in the first century. And if they said, Jesus is Lord, then they could be punished, exiled, or put to death. Because the thing of the day was, Caesar is Lord. Now, that was a kind of a black and white choice. It's not quite so easy for us today. But they had to make a decision. And you know, if it was just a preference, they would say, oh, no, 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 I was only kidding. I don't really believe that. <laughs> or they would cross their fingers and put it behind their back and say, yep, Caesar is Lord. <laughs> Lord, you know, I don't really mean it. They did not. They were willing to die for their convictions. Would I be willing to be one of those first century Christians? That when the choice came and said, would you, would you say Caesar is Lord? Would I have the, the guts the determination, the strength of character to say, no, Jesus is Lord, and then let the chips fall where they may. How about you? I know it's hard to put yourself in their place, but how about you? It's not a matter of resolve or of dedication or intensity of feeling. It's not a matter of convenience or comfort. It's a matter of conviction. We said, I believe in God. What if someone had come in here and said, you can't say that. That's against the law. We're going to round you up and take you to jail. Well, now that's happening in a lot of places in our world today. Right now, as we sit here, around our world, people are being asked to make decisions like that. Pastors are being challenged. If you have church next Sunday, we're going to put you into prison. Would you have church next Sunday? Would you be here to sing? Would you be here to worship? Would I be here to preach? If I knew that there were people in the back that were going to arrest us or maybe put us in prison or even kill us? Something to think about. Convictions further than that, they cannot be changed, is that they have character. And I would like to suggest, on behalf of the court, four, four characteristics that convictions have. One is Number one is they are predetermined. A conviction is not a spur-of-the-moment decision. Like, do you believe Caesar is Lord? Well, I don't know. I've never thought about it. Could you give me a minute to make up my mind? No, you have to be ready when the challenge comes. It's a premeditated response to a situation that is likely to occur, the court said. This means it doesn't matter if others stand with you. Preferences change. Convictions do not. People with preferences follow the crowd. People with convictions often stand alone. Let's look again in the Older Testament now, uh, uh, in the Bible, to Daniel. 
And he's three friends. You remember that. Sunday school stories are replete with songs and motions and flannel graph. Remember the old flannel graph? That was so much fun, especially as they dropped on the floor and the teacher tried to put it back. But anyway, I digress. Anyway, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they decided early in their captivity... They meditated beforehand, and they had a conviction that they would not defile themselves while in the Babylonian king's palace by compromising their religious dietary restrictions. So when the temptation came to drink the king's wine or to eat the king's meat, they said, we cannot. They took a big chance. They could have been taken from their positions. They could have been exiled. They could have been killed. It was very common in those days. Well, God honored that conviction, so they were even stronger when the next test came, and that was a decree to bow down and worship the idol, the big image. They said some say it was 90 feet high of Nebuchadnezzar. Again, they stuck to their convictions. Everyone around them had bowed down, but there they were standing as straight as they could because they had a conviction that they should worship no one except the Lord their God, no matter what the consequences were. I asked myself, would I be willing to trade places with Daniel? Would you dare to be a Daniel, as the song said? I'd like to think so, but I'm not so sure. Would you dare to be a Daniel? We need to determine our convictions ahead of time, ahead of the temptation, ahead of the test, so, they'll be, so that we will be ready when the test comes. Let me just give you a few examples. We need to determine today that we will keep ourselves morally pure. Determine today a conviction that you will keep yourself morally pure. Don't wait till you're in the middle of a situation and where you're going to be influenced by your peers or, or by some new logic or book or theory. But determine today, this is your conviction. Remember, I said once before, a couple of years ago, I think it was when I was preaching here, when your eyes see something that tempts you to lust, you have a mere five seconds to make up your mind. It's not very long, is it? And if your mind isn't already made up, those five seconds are going to be gone before you know it. But if your mind is already made up, you can stand strong. You can resist. You can avert your gaze or, or whatever it is for you. This is just an example I thought of. Determine ahead of time what you're going to do and then do it. Do it. Stand up for your convictions. Right away. We need to determine today that we're not going to introduce any mood-altering chemicals into our bodies. Determine that today. That's a lot for young people. And, oh, let me just say that's a lot for young people. But uh, we're older people too. And, uh, you know, we, we can make those decisions as well. We need to decide today that we will not cheat or compromise in any area of our lives, so that when the test comes tomorrow, we will stand firm. We, will not, we, we need to decide today 
that we will not allow the media or the internet to shape our thoughts, ideas, beliefs, and certainly not our convictions. Wouldn't that be a travesty? To let the media dictate what are my convictions? You've got to be kidding. But it's not so funny when it happens. As we were challenged a couple of weeks ago, let us walk according to the Spirit, not according to the Internet. Let us be filled with the Spirit, not filled with mass media. Don't wait until you're in the middle of the tempting situation, as I said earlier. People are going to try to influence you. As the pastor said a couple of weeks ago, they're, they're out there to take your mind. They're out there to undermine our convictions. College kids, we often say, oh, they went off to college and they lost their faith. And we've seen that time and time again. Did they lose their convictions? Absolutely not. They weren't their convictions. They were their preferences. They were their opinions. They were their family's convictions, perhaps, but not theirs. Because convictions never change. Convictions never compromise. So they were abandoning the faith of their parents or their church. Certainly not their own convictions. Predetermined then. That what you believe as a conviction cannot be changed. It's not a preference that's up for discussion. And it's non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. When the three Hebrews are dragged before the king. And the king says to them, hey, what's this I hear? The last time the, the music played, you didn't bow down to my image. What, is, is that, what, what's going on here? And I'm going to give you another chance. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll let you off this time. And so they, 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 he says, if you, if, you, if you don't bow down, I mean, if you do bow down this time, I'll forget about last time. Uh-huh. But their conviction is non-negotiable. They are adamant in their refusal to bow down to a false god, regardless of the consequences. I can imagine many of us who call ourselves Christians would, today would say, oh, thank you, Lord. He's given us a second chance. This must be your leading. I was praying for, I was praying for leading and guiding. And now the king says, if I just bow down this time, so I must, it must be from you. No, you're listening to the wrong voice. Or it's, you don't have a conviction. You have a preference or an opinion or a go with the flow attitude. It's a haunting and challenging question, isn't it? I, I've heard the, the story that if it were a crime to be a Christian, a believer, and I were hauled into court, and there, were, there, were, there, were, there were, uh, was a trial, would the prosecutor have enough evidence to convict me? Now, you've probably heard that more than once before. But as I was preparing for the sermon, the Spirit said, well, that's fine. That's good. But what if you were? Let's take it a little deeper. Let's make it a little more personal. What if you were convicted and you knew that you would face a fine or punishment, prison, or even death? And then at the last minute, 
the prosecutor comes in with a plea deal. And he says, okay, if you'll just back down, I'll let you plead guilty to lesser charges. And again, we might go to our knees and say, oh, thank you, Lord. I wanted to save my life so much, and now I can have my cake and eat it too. Now I can do both. Wouldn't you think that? I mean, that would cross my mind. But if I even entertain the idea of a plea deal, it's not a conviction. It's not a conviction. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a conviction has no possibility of compromise. Is my faith just a loosely held convenience? Is it a take it or leave it attitude? Is it a hedge against the probability that God's word is true? I mean, I don't know for sure, but you know, the odds are that it is. Or is it a mere preference? Or is it a conviction? Convictions are predetermined, they're non-negotiable, and they are confident. The court goes on to say that if you have to have a good idea that you're going to win the case before you go in, that's not a conviction. Say, let me test the waters, let me, let me test the wind, and see which way it's blowing. And I think I have a good chance of, of making it. Then they say, no, that's a preference, that's not a conviction. If that's the only way I'll stand up for my faith, I think it's going to be popular. I think it's going to go well with me. I think I'm going to get a promotion even, or whatever. Sounds kind of silly when you put it that way, but that's the way we sometimes think. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were confident of the Lord's deliverance, yes. But they said, even if the Lord doesn't rescue us, we will not recant. We will not back down. We have a conviction to worship the Lord only and no one else. How confident are our beliefs? Do they qualify as convictions or merely preferences? Convictions are predetermined. They're non-negotiable. They're confident and they are lived out, lived out, a lifestyle of convictions is seen by others. I believe, for instance, that the earth is round. Now, we could debate that later, or sort of round, I mean, mostly round. It's not flat. I believe that there are four seasons in, in, our, in our year. Now, again, that's debatable, but I believe that. I believe that Julius Caesar is a historical figure. Again, I don't know for sure. I never met him, but I've read about him, and there's enough evidence that lead me to believe that he was a historical figure. Well, though, that's fine. You probably have beliefs, too, like the sun is going to come up tomorrow or whatever. And you, we all know it doesn't come up, but so, sort of speaking, the sun will reappear tomorrow. So what, what emotional energy is there? None. There's no action needed. There's no commitment. It's certainly not worth debating, is it? It's certainly not worth sacrificing. And I'll tell you for sure, it's not worth dying for. But convictions in a believer's life require actions. Words 
and works must match up. Lip and life must be one and the same. What we are on Sunday morning is who we are on Thursday afternoon or Saturday night. See what I'm saying? What you see is what you get. And our convictions are based on truth. We mentioned love and truth earlier, so here it comes again. Are based on truth. They're motivated by the love of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, let me just share with you a couple examples that came to my mind. For instance, let's check our checkbooks or debit cards, as the as a modern people do. I, I still write some checks. Do you? Oh, there's two or three of you. Okay, great, good. I still like that feeling of writing the check and putting it in the offering plate. And I know I've talked about that before. But what is our conviction in the area of stewardship? It's often been said, just look at your checkbook or look at your debit card. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there will your heart be also. That's succinctly put in Matthew 6.31. So we need to ask ourselves today, where's, where's my treasure? Where is my heart? Actions show what we truly believe as convictions. Or check your love. Jesus said, you've heard this before, if you love me, you will obey me. You will obey my commands. You will do what I say. You will follow in my steps. Hmm, how well am I doing at that? Do I love the Lord? Do I follow his commands? Faith without corresponding works is useless. It is dead. It is a mere preference. James concludes. Faith without works is dead. Useless. A preference, an opinion, a matter of convic- I mean a matter of preference, a matter of convenience not a conviction. So check your debit card, check your love, check your Bible. We say sometimes, not, not often, we recite the, the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed, and we believe the Bible is God's word. Uh, it's our statement of faith that we, the Bible is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. Boy, that sounds good when we say it, doesn't it? Do we really believe it? Do we? How would I know? Well, how often do I look at my Bible? How often do I even read it? Do I know what the Bible says? It's becoming a lost art these days. So I'm not here again to put a guilt trip on. I'm just saying, let's face reality, folks. We say we believe the Bible is our guide in all matters of faith and practice, and sometimes we hardly read it. Or study it. I mean, that's up to you. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just suggesting some thoughts that I've had to ask myself. Do, do I rely on the Bible for my, decision, my decisions? Or do I check court cases? Or do I just see what the neighbors are doing? Or do I kind of take an opinion poll among my Christian friends? Or is there a way that I can rely on the Bible for my decision? Is the Bible my authority, my final authority? For all that I do and say. 
Or is it merely a good source among many others for forming my worldview and, and basing my decisions? Do, do I embrace the, the 10 suggestions that we find in the Bible? Or do I follow the 10 commandments? Well, if it's a preference, we follow this, this 10 suggestions. You know, it would really go better with you if you didn't do this or if you did that. And that's true. But if the Bible says, thou shalt not, do I, thou shalt not? Hmm. Boy, my conviction pile is growing smaller. My preference pile is piling up. Is the Bible inspired by God? Or is it merely an inspiring book? You know, I'm inspired when I read the Reader's Digest, aren't you? Especially those touching stories of people helping other people. And that makes me feel good and it, it kind of inspires me to go and help somebody else. But some people say, and the Bible is similar to that. I read these stories about Daniel and Shadrach, and I'm inspired to be stronger in my faith. But is it inspired? So much different than just being inspiring. It can be both, but not just inspiring. Or I just read a good book by preacher so-and-so, or pastor so-and-so, or theologian so-and-so, and I'm so inspired. Well, what about the Bible? Is it more than that? What kind of a conviction do we have about that? Based on our answers to these questions, the court would determine whether our belief was a conviction or merely a preference. And the same, the same applies to prayer, social action, and other areas of our life, which, of course, we don't have time to talk about. A preference can change on the spur of the moment. It's negotiable, and it's held only if it's in our best interest to do so. A conviction, in contrast is something we, for which we would die. It's predetermined. It is non-negotiable. It is confident. And it is lived out. So this week, let's ask the Spirit of God to help us determine which are our true convictions and which are merely our preferences. And normally I would stop there. And some of you are saying, oh, please do. Please, please. It's 925. And no, but just give me about two more minutes because the Lord is, wants me to say, I, I believe, just something a little, a little more. So just stick with me if, if, you, if you will. In these, in these days of terrorists and riots and COVID viruses and out-of-control fires and racial enmity and hurricanes and economic uncertainties and wars and rumors of wars, our faith is being tested and challenged. Believers all over the world are being put to the test, as I said earlier. Right now, as we sit here, they are being put to the test, and like I suggested earlier as well. Don't forget the persecuted believers. Don't forget to pray for them that they will stand strong like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Multitudes are affirming their genuine convictions by submitting to discrimination, harassment, mental and physical abuse, loss of employment, loss of liberty, loss of their children, imprisonment, and indeed their very lives. 
Well, I'm thankful it's not that extreme in our country. Yet. Yet. But the events of recent weeks and months lead us to believe that it might not be that long until it is. Are we ready? What if we were called upon to stand for a conviction? Now, I hope I don't have to face that. And we face it in many smaller ways. But what if? The lines are being drawn more clearly every day. It's becoming harder and harder to stand for truth, justice, and the biblical way. Superman stood for truth, justice, and the American way. Do you remember that? Some of you probably do. Truth, justice, and the biblical way. It's not popular anymore. When trouble comes along with the trials and the tribulations and the sickness and the disability and the death, our, and faith is put to test, to the test. Is our faith, I ask you one more time, a preference or a conviction? The Bible warns that in the last days, and this is a very haunting verse for me, and I want to share it with you at the risk of losing popularity. The love, in the last days, it says, the love of many believers will grow cold. Matthew 24, 12. Now, I wish it had said, the love of a few believers here and there will grow cold. So watch out. There's going to be some defections. Or if it had said, the, the love of some believers, you know, this is a bigger, bigger event than you thought. But no, it says the love of many believers will grow cold in the last days. I don't want to be one of the many. How about you? How about you? I don't want my love to grow cold. And then there are the warnings, or the promises, actually, In Revelation, the seven letters, if you've read them, time and again the Lord says to these churches, he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures, she who endures to the end will be saved. Seven times we hear that, if not more. So let's predetermine this morning that we will stand firm, that we will be strong, that we will let nothing move us or shake us or shake our confidence, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, or melt our convictions into preferences when the real test comes. And one condition, one conviction that is essential for forgiveness of sins and eternal life with God is true belief in Jesus. I believe in God and we all need Jesus. How true is that in your life? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe? Do you believe as a conviction? 